this is Kristen Urquiza, and welcome to episode 335 of COVID Calls. Uh, it's our daily discussion um, of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse coalition of disaster experts um, and others that have been living and surviving um, during this time together. Um, as I mentioned, my name is Kristen Urquiza, and I am guest hosting for the day. I am the co-founder and co-executive director of Marked by COVID. Uh, it's a national grassroots powered nonpartisan nonprofit organization that promotes accountability, recognition, justice, and a pandemic-free future. And we do this by elevating truth and science. Uh, it was founded just a few days after my first-generation Mexican-American father, Mark Urquiza, passed away from the virus last summer. And I am coming to you live from San Francisco, California. And today, I am really excited to bring two folks from my home state of Arizona up to connect with me. Uh, we will be talking with Trevor Nelson and Tara Krebs. And both are parents and activists in Arizona, the state where I grew up and where my father tragically passed away last June. So a couple of housekeeping tips. Um, as a reminder, you can usually catch COVID calls live on weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, just go to the COVID calls YouTube channel to watch. And you can also hear COVID calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you happen to get your podcast these days. Please um, keep up with us on Twitter. Um, you can follow the, hash, uh, follow the handles at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. And you can also keep up with Mark by COVID via Twitter using the, using the, the handle at Mark by COVID. This um, podcast and this entire experience is really um, successful because of the spread of information through word of mouth. So please uh, reach out and uh, share this with as many people as you think will find it insightful as it has been for me being a guest and listening in over the course of the last year. So now that the housekeeping is um, done, I want to take a moment to just sort of set the stage for our conversation today. Sadly, as of today, September 7th, 2021, there are 4,581,038 deaths from COVID-19 globally, according to the John Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. Today, we are going to spend our time talking about COVID in one tiny part of the world, my home state of Arizona. For folks tuning in from around the world, Arizona is a state in the southwestern part of the United States. It borders New Mexico on one side, to the north, Utah, and on the other side, California. And our southern border is with the country, Mexico. We have an abundance of natural beauty and culture. 
There is a magnificent canyon carved out by the Colorado River on our northern side, uh, more commonly known as the Grand Canyon. We're also home to the Sonoran Desert, which is the only place where the iconic saguaro cactus, uh, the, the cactus with the, the two arms that kind of come up, um, grows. And there are 22 federally recognized tribes that are based in Arizona, from the Navajo Nation on the north side to the Cocopaw tribe on the southern border. And although the region's physical environment may appear inhospitable to habitation and subsistence, Arizona contains some of North America's oldest records of human occupation. Relics of material culture are evidence that humans lived, uh, likely lived in Arizona more than 25,000 years ago. The other thing that Arizona is now known for, which is also remarkable but tragic, is that Arizona has been the worst place in the world for COVID multiple times throughout the course of the pandemic. This past August, just a few days ago, Arizona passed 1 million total COVID cases. And health officials just two days ago on Sunday reported more than 3,000 new COVID-19 cases for the fourth consecutive day. That's the most since the mid-February winter surge. And Arizona passed yet another grim milestone, more than 19,000 known deaths since the pandemic began more than a year ago. I'm involved in the COVID space and hosting this show because one of those 19,000 people who passed was my dad, Mark Urquiza. He passed on June 30th, 2020. He was an otherwise healthy 65-year-old Phoenician, a person from the largest city in the state, Phoenix, who was looking forward to retirement in just a few short months. He was a lover of sports, his family, friends, and broader community, and he believed COVID was real and that it was dangerous. And he took precautions to keep himself and my mother safe while we all experienced the beginning of the crisis in March, April, and May 2020. However, in May 2020, months before a COVID vaccine was available and just before Arizona's infection rate soared, our governor, Governor Doug Ducey, encouraged residents not to stay home, and my dad listened. The governor said, I want to encourage people to get out and about. If you don't have an underlying health condition, it's safe out there. The interview um, that this uh, came out in was shared all throughout the, the newspapers, Twitter and Facebook, and many people listened to that dangerous advice. And many, including my dad, paid with their lives after contracting the disease. The policy decisions, leadership failure, and disinformation pushed by our own governor has made and continues to make this pandemic so much worse than it needs to be. And unfortunately, in Arizona, the pandemic has been political from day one. Today in Arizona, Demand for effermesitin is on the rise. Doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals are burned out as only 9% of ICU beds are available. 
and one in one in every 400 people in Arizona has died from COVID. It's also back to school season and parents across the state are facing impossible barriers, many inflicted by the state's own government in safely sending their, their children to school. In Arizona, there is currently a law barring mass mandates at public schools, which will take effect on September 29th. The same law also bans vaccine mandates. And now we're seeing teachers and administrators being threatened and abused. Just this last week at Mesquite Elementary School, the principal, Diane Vargo, had a parent confront her after his son was instructed to quarantine because of a possible COVID-19 exposure. She was following the guidelines from her public health county. The parent came in with two other men to the school. They were carrying zip ties and threatened to arrest her. She said, I felt violated that they were in my office claiming that I was breaking the law. When in fact, she was just implementing public health measures and trying to keep her students and her staff safe. So with so much going on in COVID in my part of the universe in Arizona, I wanted to take time today to talk to a couple of parents who are on the front lines working to ensure that as many of as that our children remain safe throughout this pandemic and that we are not putting that we're putting our children's health and safety above politics. So I'm really excited to introduce my guests today. Uh, Trevor Nelson um, is a parent of four school-aged children. He himself is a former science teacher. He's also a community organizer with righttosafeschoolsarizona.org. And Tara Krebs, she is the COVID justice leader for the Mark by COVID Arizona chapter. She joined the group after losing her dad, Charles Henry Krebs of Phoenix, Arizona to COVID-19 last summer. She is a parent of a high school senior, Scotty. Welcome both Tara and Trevor to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, thank you. Um, so I really appreciate the both of you joining me here today to talk about what's going on in Arizona and what it's like to be a parent of a school-aged child, not only just during this pandemic, but during this pandemic in a state that seems to have so much uh, going against keeping children safe. So I'd love for each of you just to tell me where you're calling from and just what is the pandemic situation where you're at? Trevor, do you wanna start? Um, sure, yeah, I can. Um, so I'm from calling from my house in Scottsdale, um, working from home. The The kids are home today. It's the second day of a weird long weekend for fall break. But um, so if you hear them, that's just them <laughs> being them. Um, <laughs> But luckily they're all safe and they're in school um so far we've only had three scares where they had to come home and get tested this year uh we've been open for a couple of weeks like a month now so or almost a quarter um but yeah it's uh it's it's the, they're on the rise what's what's really interesting is that last spring if we can compare there was a huge um you know public outcry about having schools closed and there was a lot of people saying, open the schools up. And the metrics in terms of cases 
per 100,000 and the community spread was way less than it is right now. And it's not the same conversation happening at the school boards. So it's, it's fascinating. So to say the least, Tara, um, bringing you in, where are you calling in from and what is the pandemic situation like for you? I am calling in from my house in Phoenix. Uh, my office is actually still on a hybrid schedule. Um, thank God. And I just kind of want to jump off Trevor's last point. Um, you know, we're seeing these numbers grow exponentially. We're in just as bad or worse place than we were last year. And to go from even the low level of mitigation procedures that we had in place last year to nothing as these numbers um, continue to grow, it's it's really frustrating um, and really disappointing. Um, you know, Scotty is in high school. He is vaccinated. Um, but his school to start off, they are doing a tiered program. Um, they are now on tier two, expecting to go on tier three. Um, and tier three is where they will finally mandate masks in the school, which it's just so hard to understand why they're doing this backwards. Mm. Um, you know, taking a step back, I would love to hear from both of you what a safe school looks like. Um, what is our ideal safe school, safe school in Arizona? Um, yeah, I can take that. Um, I, what does a, a safe school look like? You know, there's there's multiple layers of mitigation that can be put in place. And I think the first one starts with vaccination, which most districts in Arizona accomplished by vaccinating their staff or requiring them to get vaccinated. But not everyone can get vaccinated, right? So there's got to be the few exceptions, which is you know understandable. Um, but then on top of that is what we're finding, especially with Delta, the new Delta variant, that you have to have that universal masking. It's critical um, that you have universal masking in place. And so what that is, is when the vaccinated folks and the unvaccinated folks wear masks to protect each other, because my mask protects me or protects you and your mask protects me and back and forth. So you got to have really good masking in place. Um, and honest, the best mask for kids is the one they're going to wear and not play with all day. Um, and we also have to keep in mind that there's a huge population in those schools that are unvaccinated. So like any kid under 12, not vaccinated. There's very few exceptions. There's a couple kids that I know of that are in trials, but it's like, you know, one person, two people out of all the families at our school. Um, and the other, th other important piece is ventilation. So in my school district, they spent some money last year to upgrade the filters to get them up to like MERV 13 and not totally break the AC system. Um, but that's not quite enough considering most of the classrooms are indoors with only a door and a door that they can't keep open due to uh, rules that have to do with um, active shooters. So we can't even keep the doors open. Most of the, most of the window, there's no windows in any of the schools that my kids have been in in Arizona or the ones I've worked in. Um, so you got to have good ventilation, which can include things like good filters in the classroom. Um, and there's a couple of different kinds you could actually go to the right to safe schools, arizona.org and look up a really great um, one that you can build for your classroom um, in our toolkit, which is pretty cool. It's called a Corsi Rosenthal air filter box. It's made out of four um, HEPA filters that you attach to a box fan and tape them up and you can actually run and circulate the air and clean it out. So that's key. You gotta have vaccination, masking and ventilation and including the filtering. 
Um, but then also testing is the one that everyone forgets. And that can include the PCR tests, um, the which are done you know, at different facilities around the valley. There's even testing available from the county that the districts can use um, that would be pool testing, uh, which is better than nothing. And then there's the rapid test that they can actually get from the county. The districts can ask for that to get, as part of their COVID um, shipment, just like masks and cleaning supplies. Um, and have those rapid tests available so that they can figure out who's sick, when they're sick, and who needs to stay home in quarantine, and who can come back to school safely. Um, that's what it's going to take. And not every school has even put in one or two of those. So That was just going to be my next question. <laughs> you know, given it's not, I mean, the good news is that it's not impossible. Masking, vaccinations, filtration, is even this kit for how to do your own filtration system. Um, we know we have these resources along with tests, but whenever I hear the conversation around going back to school, I hardly ever hear anything about testing. I hear maybe a little bit about ventilation that's gotten a little bit more um, uh, airtime recently, but mostly I only hear about vaccinations and masks. So I really appreciate you bringing those other two um, pieces to the forefront, Trevor. Tara, what about you? I agree with all of that. Um, and what I just wanted to add is that we know in Arizona that all of these things can be done because we're watching one of the private schools do it right now and implement all four of those things for their students um, to ensure that the whole student body is staying safe and healthy. Um, so it's not that it can't be done. It's that our elected leadership is not allowing schools to do so. And also going back to what you both said at the top of your time here together was that we're in such a just as bad, if not worse position than we've ever been in the state of Arizona. And yet there are seemingly no mitigation measures being pushed by the state leadership. Yeah, in fact, it took up until I think Saturday for the Arizona Department of Health Services to actually tweet the word mask since last spring. Um, they do their daily COVID update of the numbers and they always suggest to get vaccinated, which is really important to do. That's how we're gonna end this pandemic is when everyone's vaccinated or sick or dead. Um, but they haven't said the word masks for a long time. And they finally said, wear a mask, which is important. Um, so that's what we're up against. Uh, that and Doug Ducey, basically putting a bounty on students to remove them from schools that um, when parents feel like they're not getting their needs met because, you know, we're making their kids wear a mask of all things. So, uh, which is interesting because $7,000 doesn't really get you um, into most private schools right now because mm -hmm. uh, their tuition is average about 10,000 to 15,000 a year. So I'm not sure what the parents are going to do with that. Um, plus uniforms, plus books, plus everything else they need. So. And following up on that, you know, I would love to hear, uh, Trevor, a little bit more about what's going on with Right to Safe Schools Arizona, which I know is a coalition that you're very active in. Uh, Tara and I have been a little bit active in, but can you just tell me a little bit more about how it came about yeah. and what you're working to achieve? Yeah, so the Right to Safe Schools Arizona is just a coalition of concerned parents uh, professionals, community members, health doctors, whoever uh, wants to get involved. And 
ultimately it's around the fact that we believe that schools should have the right to do what it takes to keep kids safe um, by implementing common sense public health guidance. So that can take the shape of masks or ventilation or um, any of the other numbers, you know, vaccination, that kind of stuff, any other things that, that we need to be put in place that like county health, you know, asks you to do or public health or the CDC. Um, and so right now we're focused on COVID because that's the big thing. Um, so how it started is we started, um, it was just me and uh, my colleague, Jessica Wani, another parent in the district. We were texting and we're like, what is going on? Nobody's doing anything. Somebody should do something about this. Uh, so that we just said, maybe it's us since no one else is stepping up. Um, so we started this little coalition with uh, five or six doctors. Now we're up to like nine or so, and we're growing uh, exponentially. So we started with a letter to Doug Ducey outlining the legal and morality and ethical issues on why uh, schools should be and are supposed to be uh, keeping kids safe with masks and vaccinations and ventilation and all the things we've talked about. Um, that grew, I think it's up to almost 9,000 signatures. Uh, we got 4,000 in like the first couple of days. It's pretty cool. Um, and then from there, we we started working to spread the word about specific school districts. Um, and this was all while a couple of school districts have started school and we started seeing the numbers rise. Then we were pushing boards of supervisors, uh, anybody who would listen. Um, and just we got uh, a couple of our doctors worked within their networks and got over a thousand signatures uh, within Maricopa County alone to ask the board of supervisors to implement masks. Um, and in the meantime, the governor decided to write a couple of ex executive orders to counter all of our efforts that we were doing. Um, and there's been a couple of lawsuits. Um, and so far we've had a good outcome in the Phoenix Union. Um, and then we've also uh, have uh, a couple of our members have a lawsuit going that's going to be heard on the 13th, oral arguments are on the 13th, so. You all have been busy in just a little over a month's time. And it's incredibly impressive uh, to see the work product that has been coming out of Right to Safe Schools uh, Arizona, in addition to um, the really helpful toolkits that parents, um, teachers, concerned community members can use um, in order to have these conversations with people in their school district administrators, school boards, others about the importance of these safety measures. Yeah, one of the things we noticed is the severe misinformation plus the lack of information. So it was kind of twofold. Like, how can you fight a mis misinformation when nobody knows what the information is? And everyone has an opinion about every scientific paper that drops, whether it's a preprint or it's been read by 500 other scientists and they think that their read is correct. And so we decided, you know what, the best thing we can do is educate the public on the correct stuff. Uh, public politician doesn't matter your station, you're a human being. So we wanna help you understand what is the real problem and what the real solutions are so that we can all talk at, on a level playing field to make sure we're talking about the same thing and that we're trying to solve the same problem. Um, that's one of our largest goals now is those, those to make more of those toolkits and more of that information and keep it updated so that as things come out, we can have the parents, especially, and community members can have the correct information. So that's, that's great. For. And Tara, I know that you've been very busy uh, this last year between mourning the loss of your dad and working to keep people protected and informed. And uh, for folks who uh, aren't familiar, Tara has played a really large role in helping to get vaccination sites 
to uh, some of the underserved areas in, in Phoenix, including my childhood neighborhood of Maryville. So I thank you for that. Um, but I'm curious to hear what would you like to see happen in Arizona as far as the COVID response goes at this time? You know, after the past 18 months, I think that it would be amazing. And in a perfect world, we would have learned that we would deal with this proactively um, instead of reactively. You know, the mask mandates, um, obviously, younger children can't be vaccinated. Um, some people that are of the age can also not be vaccinated. So taking every precaution um, in the school district with masking, um, social distancing, as Trevor mentioned, the ventilation. I know at Scotty School, one thing I am happy with is um, their contact tracing. And we are alerted uh, right away if Scott has come into contact with someone who is COVID positive. And I think that aspect of it um, is really important. They don't require children who are vaccinated to quarantine after contact. Um, so for us as a family, we do rapid test him after he comes in contact just to make sure that he's not walking around spreading it to anyone else. You know, it sounds like such a big ask of what we need to do, but we all know um, if we don't do these things, it's just going to keep repeating itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Trevor, back to you. I um, wanted to pick up the thread about um, the lawsuit that you had just mentioned a moment ago. For folks um, who are just joining us now, I just want to uh, say welcome and that you are listening to COVID Calls. Um, guest hosting today, my name is Kristen Urquiza, and we're talking about going back to school and keeping it safe. I'm excited to have um, two parents from the great state of Arizona, my home state, Tara Krebs and Trevor Nelson, with um, me here today. And we are just about to talk a little bit more about um, some of the specifics of what's going on in Arizona. So on that note, President uh, Biden recently you know, stepped in with the Department of Education to put pressure on a handful of states that had been really reticent towards allowing uh, local governments to have mask mandates or other mandates to help keep people sick, um, help keep people from getting sick. Safe. Yeah. <laughs> um, Arizona was not on that list um, because of the current lawsuit against uh, the law that the governor is trying to enact. I'm just wondering how optimistic you are about that law being struck down um, by the court and you know how can people what should people in the community do who want to help out? Yeah, first, I want to thank Tara for reminding us about contact tracing. I did not bring that up when I was talking about what a safe school would look like. Um, it's a critical piece. Unfortunately, it's been placed on schools to do, and there's no like statewide or countywide like method for it. And so I know my district keeps a Google Doc of all things. So um, thank you for bringing that up. Contact tracing is critical. So to answer your question, um, are we optimistic? Yes, we are. And we, at first, when the Biden decision or the Department of Education decision came down amongst our group and some of our, our legal scholars that we work with, there was a little bit of disappointment. Like we would love the intervention and the oversight. Um, but we also understand there's other states that aren't uh, in a position we're in and they need a little more cover than we do. Um, our lawsuit 
well, it's not my lawsuit. I'm not in it, but some of our members are. There's there's kind of two that are going on. One is with the University of Phoenix or <laughs> University of Phoenix, <laughs> Phoenix Union, Phoenix Union High School District. We're not involved with that one. Uh, that was a teacher who sued because Phoenix Union put in a mask mandate, and um, that was actually the initial part was there was going to be uh, hopefully an injunction to uh, allow the mandate to continue until the 29th um, when the law goes into effect. So that, but that uh, the judge ruled that the law is not in effect now, and therefore Phoenix Union or other districts. Um, could put in a mask mandate, which is good. So when that came out, a lot of districts, a lot of dominoes fell in terms of districts finally deciding to mandate masks, and that was great. And we were seeing some good results with that uh, in terms of mitigation of spread because their their numbers started to go down in their districts. Um, but it lags about a week and a half, and then the dashboards lag about two weeks, so you don't really see it. So for about a week and a half, all you hear are people complaining, see, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then when the numbers start going down, they don't understand that that's because the masks were in place two weeks ago. Um, and then the lawsuit that our group's involved with has to do with two pieces in the Constitution. The first one is the single subject rule, and it's it's a real kind of nuanced conversation. But basically, at the short end of it is there is a law in Arizona that says every bill has to have uh, one subject only, and it's supposed to prevent what in the federal government we often call um, pork barreling. Um, they like to call it log rolling here in Arizona. It's basically where you put a bunch of stuff in a bill, try to get it to pass. So what the state legislature did is they took a bunch of bad bills that had already been, well, in fact, a couple had been vetoed by the governor, and they tried to figure out ways to put them into the appropriations bill, which are always the, kind of the last sets of bills. And in this case, there was a K-12 reconciliation bill, which is a fancy way of saying, here's all the spending we didn't get to in the other bills. And they put a couple of lines in there that said, school districts are not allowed to mandate masks. Um, we don't think that that actually fits the single subject rule since it doesn't have anything to do with the economy um, or the funding of a school district. It has to do with public safety. Um, I won't bore you with the rest of the details. You can read the, the brief if you really want to. And the second one is equal protection. So what ended up happening is that's public school funding, which is different than private school funding. And this sets up a situation where private schools, which they are doing now, they are in implementing mask mandates and public schools can't and charter schools can't. And that sets up two sets of unequal uh, footing, two groups of students on unequal footing. That also violates the Arizona constitution. So. The hearing on the 13th is to hear oral arguments on the injunction to actually stop the law from going into effect on the 29th until there can be a longer um, trial case with evidence and everything else to solve it. So we're pretty we're pretty hopeful that um, the judge will side with the injunction and let the mask mandates go into place. Or well, actually, it's not how it works. Where the judge will, if they rule in our favor on the 13th, what that'll look like is that the law will not go into effect on the 29th of September, meaning districts have more time to implement mask mandates if they need to, or other mitigation strategies. And then they can hear the rest of the case and make a decision later into how it affects um, long-term how the Arizona state legislature makes bills because they like to do this every year with bad bills. So um, we're pretty hopeful about it. Um, thank you. That was super educational. I feel like I learned a lot um, about the bill, even though I had, you know, skimmed it a bit and have been paying attention. But um, yeah, and we're hopeful about the outcome being that way, because typically in these cases, it's will there be harm? So, uh, yes, if you don't allow mass mandates to go into effect, there could be harm, i.e. students dying. So uh, it's a pretty straight line dot. 
dotted line, straight line. So hopefully, we'll see. They have to argue the case still. But. Um, and it just makes me think about kind of what we were talking about a moment ago, even with, you know, how to um, have the tools to reach out to your school board. Um, a lot of this, there's like a lot of barriers to access for parents and other folks in the community to be able to engage in a way to make um, a difference. And I think Part of what I really like about Right to Safe Schools Arizona, as well as the work that Mark Vykovic do, is doing in, Ariz in Arizona, is lowering those barriers um, and giving people ways in which to get involved. Um, and Tara, I'm going to bring you in um, right now and just, you know, I know that you've been working on a lot of different projects um, in Arizona. And I'm wondering, what do you think are some of the most meaningful ways that folks can get involved in helping to make a difference? I really do think, you know, using the resources available, especially now um, with Right to Help, making them so easy to access and just people remembering, reaching out to your school board, um, reaching out to the school districts, it seems like such a little thing when you're one person, but when we all band together and we're all doing it, um, the movement forward can be great. And on that note, I am curious um, to know, and, and both of you feel free to, to answer this. Um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about this, but one of the things that has been, I feel like entirely contentious in Arizona is just masks. I know when my dad, um, got sick in June of 2020, um, you know, the governor had issued an executive order prohibiting local governments from having mask mandates. Um, at that time, the, the mayors of Phoenix and uh, Tucson and Flagstaff, which are the sort of main, um, you know, places throughout the state were, and as well as others were fighting back to get, um, you know, to be able to push back on that. And it seems like we're once again in this sort of holding pattern of to wear a mask, to not wear a mask. Science is very clear. Um, I think it was, you know, what you said earlier, Trevor, my mask protects your you, your mask protects me. Um, but there is a, at least a very vocal um, sort of contingency of people out there who oppose um, wearing masks. And I'm wondering from the parent perspective, um, you know, is there any hope to work together with these folks or is it just too late now? Are the, the pro-mask and the anti-mask camps hopelessly opposed? I mean, obviously COVID isn't ending anytime soon. And, and you know, how do we find avenues to, uh, you know, help people move along this conversation or or is there is there not no hope yeah i can i can kind of jump in on this i think there's always hope because um 
even with so take vaccines for example um there's there was huge pushback on the vaccine because it had emergency approval and now one of them is fully approved and the other two are still under emergency approval which by the way the emergency is just that it's an outbreak and not it's not like it's you know experimental or anything it's, a, it's there was an emergency so we had to get it out they didn't skip any steps um but we saw a huge increase in vaccinations in this country and still are seeing a rise after that date so they finally approved it it was all good that we're talking about the Pfizer, which has a weird new name, Comirnaty or something. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I don't know what, what that was about. But um, yeah, so I think there is. And I think what we're seeing is there's a couple of really good um, scientific papers that have come out, some really good studies um, that have absolutely 100% backed up the whole concept of, hey, wear a mask. It doesn't matter which mask, wear a mask and you can help slow the spread. There are masks that are better um, and you can, and some people like to get into these really small, you know, minutia conversations of like, what well, would it's N95 or bust, or, you know, that, that doesn't matter. I got to wear a gas mask. Like just wear one, just wear something over your face. Hopefully it has three layers so that you can keep your little bugs with you. And I can keep my little bugs with me and we won't infect each other. It's like a giant game of cooties that we had when we were kids. Try to keep them to yourself. Try to keep apart. It's not that hard. Avoid big groups of people indoors. Um, pretty straightforward. So yeah, I'm hopeful on that. We're also seeing, and, and kind of anecdotally, we're, we're getting reports that school board meetings that used to be full of anti-maskers are now less full of anti-maskers. Um, there's still a contingency that there's a whole other issue going on with this, but the CRT thing, which is just bonkers because it's not even in the social studies curriculum, um, there's a there's an alignment between those people causing trouble and talking about masks and CRT and, and trying to conflate the two. And But Typically, those like people don't even like critical race theory and mask wearing. Yeah, they call it socialism. So it's oh, okay. I don't get Great. it either. I don't understand it, and I'm I'm fairly educated. Um, I don't understand why they do that, but they do because it's something to bark about. I think there's a huger movement behind that that's national and it's funded and it's it's anyway that's a whole other issue. But um, there's less people complaining because groups like ours and other in the journalists and newspaper and media are starting to get information out to say no, we need to push back on this. Um, and, and actually help educate other people about masks. So there is hope that, that what you could call anti-maskers will come around to it. There's a group of them as always that won't because for some reason they think liberty and freedom means I can do whatever I want and those are not the definitions of liberty uh, or freedom. Um, yeah. So yeah, yes, I'm hopeful. And you know, there was at one point in time, I way before this pandemic was even um, you know a blip on our radar screen, I can remember learning about um, the passage of seatbelt laws and how there was a huge uproar um, against, you know, wearing a seatbelt. And now I I don't get and don't really know anyone who gets in a car and does it. Yeah. When's the last time you got you went to a restaurant and they said smoking or non-smoking? Right. <laughs> When's the last time you bought an airplane ticket and they said, oh, are you going to be in the smoking section or the non-smoking section of the airplane? Like our society moves forward based on science and some people it takes a little longer and some people get it quicker, but eventually it comes around. Um, unfortunately, the pandemic might be over in four or five years. Um, and you're like, whoa, that's too long. Well, if nobody wears a mask and people are not getting vaccinated, that's the timeline we're looking at folks is that's what it was during smallpox. It takes a long time for it to burn out and get everybody sick or get everybody vaccinated. So I don't mean to sound quip when I talk about that. It's a very serious thing, but it's the reality. You either yeah. Yeah. step up for your society or don't, but we need you to, please. Please participate. 
Tara? I just wanted to add to, um, I am also hopeful, um, but I do think it's important to remember that right now we're fighting 18 months of misinformation. It's not like we're starting from the jump and trying to inform people. We are literally out there trying to change minds of people who, you know, are used to seeing this propaganda and especially in Arizona, these mixed messages, um, you know, about personal responsibility and wear a mask, but then our governor walks around and goes to super spreader events without a mask or talks about the severity um, of COVID in Arizona. And then we get a parachuting hot dog with a mask. I think it's harder than starting from the beginning where we're starting right now. Um, I don't want to sound negative about it. I am hopeful. I just think um, it's a lot harder than it could have been. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm glad that you raised that point, Tara, because that's right. There is a long runway of reinforced misinformation, disinformation, and resistance to masking that we are, that, that legacy um, is something that we're crawling out of. And at this critical moment, it would be, you know, unrealistic to think that we could turn the the tides in just a couple of days or a couple of weeks. It's going to take an all-out effort to um, really build those bridges. And it's good to also to hear that there's some pushback uh, to the anti-mask lobby. I hadn't really heard much about that. Um, and I, you know, have heard from parents in Arizona, other parents, about you know having showing up to a school board meeting and having people who aren't even in the district don't even have children <laughs> going off about masking. Yeah, you have one individual in particular who shows up to a lot of them, and and I don't think actually lives here, so I don't I don't know where he lives, but yeah, <laughs> he showed up to my school district, and we're like that guy doesn't even live here, but supposedly he's going to have children and and raise his family in that district, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's important. I think what's also important to understand is in Arizona, um, we have what we have a union. We have the Arizona Educators um, Edu Association, Arizona Education Association. Sorry, I got to get that right. Um, and there's a couple other ones. They, um, we are a right to work state. So in terms of union power, there's not like you know we can't go on strike you know for this. And besides, it's not what's best for kids. Um, they're not going to go have a march like they did for Red Fred a few years ago and bring 75,000 people together during a pandemic. That's just not, that's not smart. It doesn't get your point across. It kind of eliminates your entire point. Um, so they're just gonna do their best to teach and do their job as teachers and try to keep kids safe in the classroom the best they can. So that's, that's what they have to do. They're not resigned to it. They're also involved in the lawsuit that our group is involved in. Um, so they're not sitting quiet, but there's, there's only so much they can do. That makes um, a lot of sense, and I really appreciate you bringing up the the teachers' uh, point because I um, we hadn't spent much time uh, really talking about the teachers who are you know stuck in the middle of of this, and I'm I'm curious to um, uh, to hear from both of you just what where are students um, on this? What is um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, Tara, you know, what does Scotty have to say about what's going on? What would he like to 
uh, see happen. What is it like to be a 17-year-old living in a pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's definitely been different. And he was actually in virtual school um, up until I think the last two weeks of school last year. Now he's in person. Um, they don't have a virtual option. Um, they do an online observer program for kids that are forced to quarantine. Um, but, you know, he has been stringent after losing his grandpa about wearing his mask, encouraging his friends uh, to also do so. But what we've seen in this school year, um, when he comes home, you know, he he understands. He doesn't understand why there's not a mask mandate. Um, it separates the kids because there are kids that don't have a problem wearing a mask. They've either lost loved ones um, or they have grandma and grandpa at home or they have loved ones that can't get vaccinated. And these kids do care. Um, so he doesn't understand exactly why the adults aren't doing what we need to do after these kids had their lives shut down for 18 months. Um, and, you know, as far as it separating the children, you know, now if a child is COVID positive and other people have to quarantine, like members of the football team, there's pushback. Um, and instead of it being towards the school, it's on this child who it's not his fault that he got COVID. Um, it's just not a good situation all around. But as far as Scotty goes, he is 17. He understands uh, masking. He understands even though he doesn't have to quarantine, we do rapid tests and why we do it. Um, but it definitely is a source of frustration for him. Yeah. Trevor, what about your little ones? Yeah, I have. So I have four. I have one in high school, one in middle school or two in middle school. Sixth grade, middle school. I have, I have a fourth, sixth, eighth, and sophomore. Okay. Um, and so the high schooler is pretty chill about it. He he gets to go. He's vaccinated, um, and he every day I I pick him up after school and we come home and I'm like, so how'd it go today? And his num like number two thing usually is, well, a lot of kids were out or this many kids were out in this class. He kind of gives me the daily report. And for a while there, it was like he was sitting in a room with like 15 other kids when there should be like 35 um because that's it was like the second week of school and it's just like they were all out either quarantined or they were exposed or they were sick or um and he had some friends switched online so uh the younger kids same way i think what's frustrating what they've expressed to us is um, my father's going through cancer treatment um, so we were online all last year um, we thought about doing it again this year but it's hard to um you know make them go through another year of that um being home you know trying to work online and put that through the teachers too it was really rough they're doing like dual modality teaching for a while which is like how do you teach kids at home and in the classroom i didn't get that part um our our biggest holdout one of my my daughters actually was like wanting to go back really bad she's resigned to like you know if we have to go back online i'm fine with it at this point because it's created she's had to be exposed she's been exposed several times by good friends of hers um, they turned out not to be sick, but they were part of kind of the, the chain of, you know, of who's sick. And so she would have to come home, get tested. And the way it worked out, it was kind of a nice thing, but it was weird. She was exposed on a Friday. We didn't find out till the next Wednesday. Um, so she went and got tested on that Wednesday, which means we didn't have to wait super long to get the test back and have her. So the day she got the tip results, she was able to go back, but that was earlier than those, we had to do a test last week and it took seven days to get the test results back. So it's just so wonky and messed up. And I, are they learning? Maybe, I don't know. I'm a teacher and I, I help them as much as we can. My wife and I are both teachers. We try to get them 
as much help as we can and help tutor them and, and the teachers are doing great but when they are home our kids aren't watching online they're just getting a packet of work so it's like what good was that um i mean they do the work and they're they're learning but it's, it's not ideal we want them in person that's where they should be and the kids want to be there but mm-hmm. um we've even, even discussed putting them all online and then let's travel the country go see stuff <laughs> but is that really fair also in a pandemic you know like, yeah no so. exactly um and i'm also curious you know have have you seen students be active on the issue of masking i've heard a lot about parents other folks in the community members um, but have kids themselves been, you know, active as advocates on any of these uh, issues? Tara, do you want to? Sure. I know as far as Scotty goes, he has helped me uh, with some of the stuff that we've done with Mark by COVID. Um, but something that really sat with me is that he's been very open about talking about the loss of his grandpa and what we went through, um, the fact that he will wear a mask, and also the fact that he is vaccinated um, and that he had no side effects and he was okay. And he actually has had a few friends this year um, that as seniors were not vaccinated. And when they turned 18 last month, they went and got the vaccine themselves. They made their own decision. Um, because really, they just wanted to not be quarantined from football, but however they got there, they knew it was safe uh, because Scotty was very open about talking about it. That's amazing. Um, really kind of bringing your own experience to the forefront to normalize, hey, I'm vaccinated, this is real, it's impacted me, I do think makes a really big difference and and takes courage, especially whenever you see the the parents or the adults in the state uh, fighting one another about what's going on. Yeah, for mine, um, they haven't, like my high school, for example, he, he doesn't really know that many people because he wasn't in school last year. So he knows a few of his friends from middle school that, that are there, but they don't have classes together for the most part at all. So he there's a whole bunch of new people around him. All he can do is just wear his mask and he's not really outgoing anyway. So But um, there have been incidents he's talked about at school where he's seen other kids kind of, you know, be bold with their friends and say, hey, what are you doing? Keep us safe. And I think what's hard on the flip side is trying to help the kids understand, my younger kids understand that like, um, if you see a kid not wearing a mask, it's not because they don't care about you or they don't care about like their grandpa, for instance, my dad. Is it maybe they don't know, maybe they don't understand the difference or why it's important. Um, you know, some of the kids that I know don't wear masks at the school, even though it's mandated, because um, there's an opt out, which means it's not mandated. Uh, which is a whole nother conversation, but um, like it, their par- I know their parents and I know why the kids not wearing masks because the parents won't wear masks and their parents probably aren't vaccinated. So um, that's unfortunate for those kids to not understand their role in the chain of transmission um, and what they can, that they can still spread it. Even if they're not feeling bad, if they're not feeling sick, they can still pass it to somebody else. Um, all these things that have come up, it's no. And then that's one of the next things that we're trying to do with Right to Save Schools is to help connect with students who are active and want to be act advocates, not really activists, but just advocates for this, um, if they want to put themselves out there. But um, for the most part, I think they're so stressed out, they want to focus on school. They want to learn, they want to be with their friends, they want to be kids again, they don't want to be isolated. So I like how you said that, Tara, the, the adults need to step up so that our kids can be kids and, and be children and, and 
but a prom and you know those kind of things and not and not illegal prom uh with not school sanctioned prom like last year which was happening <laughs> Um, one of the themes that we've kind of touched on in, in the last few minutes is just the idea of recognition, um, both of sort of recognizing um, the different sort of mitigation measures that are available and, and, and kind of daylighting that. Um, but it makes me think about the recognition work, Tara, that I know you've been working on a lot, um, you know, to help memorialize and remember the people that we've lost, such as your dad, Charles Krebs. And I was wondering if you wanted to take a moment to just talk about why we need to recognize the losses of the pandemic, um, why that's important and, um, and from your point of view. You know, I think it's getting better, especially with the work that Marked by COVID has been doing um, and us being vocal, but I do know losing my dad um, in August of 2020, I felt very alone. Um, the virus had been so politicized, it wasn't easy to speak out about it. Um, and then really until I found you, Kristen and Fiona and Marked by COVID, um, aside from family and a few close friends, um, it was really dealing with that loss myself. So when we started hosting memorials here, I think Kristen, our first one was October and we were at 5,000 deaths. Um, we did another one right before Christmas and we were at 8,000 deaths. And, you know, it, they weren't highly attended, but from sharing on Facebook and interviews and social, um, we started to get more messages, at least I did, um, in Arizona. And this led up to our March 1st um, COVID memorial. Uh, Victims and Survivors Day, where we hosted it at the Arizona Heritage Center. Um, and the main mission of that was not only to let people know that they weren't alone, but also talk about the fact that this isn't a beautiful part of our history, but it is a part of our history. Um, it shouldn't be swept under the rug. We need to remember it and we need to come together um, as a community to really love and support each other during these hard times. I love that. Um, as we're kind of coming up to the hour here, I just want to ask both of you one other question. I'm curious as to what this pandemic has taught you and what, um, you know, what, what have you learned from this experience? Trevor, we'll start with you. Oh, I think you're on mute. <laughs> I do that. Sorry. Um, what have I learned? You know, I, I think um, learned or reinforced that history repeats itself. Um, I think what fascinated me, it was more of a fascination at the beginning of the pandemic, try to keep my mind off of the stress of this unknown virus, was learning about the, the earlier pandemic in the early 1900s and learning about the same stuff we're dealing with now, which is like anti-mask stuff and rhetoric and and how strong groups of people can be and so i think dovetailing in what my real answer was that i had planned was that um that people can make a difference you can stand up and make your voice heard i would just recommend make it an educated one do some research um so you don't look like an ass i'm sorry <laughs> family <laughs> program um but no i mean be be educated be important and research stay a bridge of what's going on but there's a lot out there so you know 
don't feel like you can change the world in every single subject. Find something that you're passionate about that you know you can change and get involved. Um, and masks work. I've learned that too on multiple levels. And it's a new pandemic. It, it's interesting to see how these different variants come out. I mean, I was a science teacher, so I understand the biology. Mm -hmm. um, but now watching what Delta is doing to our population is just, it's, it's crazy. Like how a small couple of mutations can change and it's way more, way more uh, infectious. It, it holds on longer, it makes you sicker, which then in turn means you can pass more to everybody else. So yeah, that's, it's just been a lot, it's a big learning process. Plus it's not hard to get started with a group if you have some like-minded people. So who agree and, and are passionate. So follow your passion. Be educated. Wear a mask. <laughs> Tara, what about you? You know, I think looking back, especially even at the beginning of this, um, it just reiterated to me the uh, power of propaganda um, and the damage that that misinformation can do, especially when it's widely spread and the groups they're coming from um, may not be the biggest, but they are the loudest. Um, and just the damage that that can do to our community if we don't get it under wraps soon enough. Um, and just how exponential it was because it was supported by elected leadership um, who people, you know, they trusted to take care of them. Um, and on the flip side of that, too, I've also learned this year, you know, the power of community, the power of coming together Um you know, the power of that support system and, you know, our collective voice coming together and the differences that we can make. Great. Well, I want to thank you both um, for joining us here today to connect on what's happening in Arizona, the activism work that you have both been doing um, to help keep um, everyone, but in particular students, safe during this back to school season. Um, I also just want to remind folks who are uh, listening that we will uh, be back tomorrow, COVID calls at six Eastern. Um, tomorrow, there will be anthropologist um, of humanitarian aid, Peter Redfield joining. And I will be back next Tuesday for another guest host uh, section where we will talk more about back to school but turn our attention to Texas. So Trevor, Nelson, thank you so much. Tara Krebs, thank you so much. And we will see you guys next time. <laughs>